I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to the Human Ordinary Podcast. Stories exploring our culture, our relationships, and what it means to be human. This story is the first in a planned three-part series looking at how and why people eat meat. This episode contains vivid descriptions and sounds of animal slaughter. If you don't eat beef, I understand if you switch off now. But if you are a meat eater, then I really think you should be listening. Oh, and all throughout this story, you might hear the sound of a tractor. It can get pretty annoying. I hope it doesn't bother you too much. Rifle shot rings out on a Dalesford farm. The cow called Dotcom falls to the ground, her legs instantly collapsing beneath her huge body. She starts twitching and writhing as if she's still alive, but her face is dead, her mouth open and long tongue dangling out. Blood pours out her nose and forms a little pool in the dirt. Don, one of the two butchers tasked with the job of slaughtering and butchering the cow, returns his Magnum 22 rifle to its case and packs it away. He tells me the extra length of the shells give it more punch, despite the small calibre. In the paddock, the two remaining cows eat grass a few feet away from the fallen dot-com. They were initially startled by the gunshot, but now their docile and vacant faces show no fear, sadness or even concern. I feel like I'd have more sympathy for them if they had even the slightest clue of what was going on. But it's almost as if they're nothing but breathing, eating inanimate objects, like psychopath cows who feel nothing. The blood flow from Dotcom's nose slows, and now this brownish stuff like liquid hay starts to trickle out. And still she twitches. This is Barry. Don's off-sider. So I can go over there and grab his tail and break, like, bend its tail because mm. that's where all your nerves are. So I can make that him jump, kick, by cracking his tail. Oh. Old stockmen in the territory when I worked up there, they always nick behind the back of the head, some of them, and put wire up the spinal cord because that gives it, like, electric stimulation, natural. So it's making all its nerves go like that. So what that does is make the blood pump out. Right, okay. So it just clears it all. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so everyone has their own thing. Huh. I always crank tails if I think there's still a kick left in them, because once you go to skin them, you put the leg between your legs and kick you, kick you in the face. And, you know. right. is dragged out of the paddock by a tractor, chains wrapped around her ankles. Barry tells me she's about to be bled out and dressed, which is a rather euphemistic term that means the exact opposite from what it sounds. You see, when I get dressed, I put things on. But Dotcom is about to be skinned, dismembered and gutted. Or as they would say in the classics, 
hung drawn and corded. With the tractor, the body is hoisted into the air by its ankles and a foot-long cut is made along the neck. Blood flows out onto the ground. It takes 10 minutes for the blood to be fully drained and then Doc Com is rested back onto the ground. The incision that they made in the neck to let the blood out is continued down the length of the body, only this time not as deep. And then Don and Barry, working with these long, thin blades, sever the sinew between the fat and skin. In these repetitive movements of cutting and pulling, cutting and pulling, they work at removing the hide. With this rather macabre scene before me, I feel it fitting that I bring up with the men a show I saw once, where a vegan woman described people who kill animals as murderers. What do you think about that? Ever since time began, people have been hunting food, and we just domesticate these and then hunt them. Cows are there for their milk, that's fine. And she's probably against that too, is she? Milking them for the milk. No shoes, no leather, yeah, no right. cosmetics, mm. no soap. Where does it stop? No sutures. And what about the person who raised and brought Dotcom to slaughter? I still didn't feel... I, f I felt a little bit bad, but, but not bad enough not to do it because I still felt that the cow had a really good life. This is Teresa yeah, Brook. My name's Teresa Brook and I'm the person who bred the heifer that we put in the freezer. We've got three mums. Well, well two, two, two have um, calves at foot. One didn't, didn't have a calf. And we've got uh, May May who was raised on a bottle and two calves. But they're really, really um, curious and they, they love to know what's going on. So, you know, we could go and sit in any part of the paddock without food and they just couldn't resist and they would before you know it they'd be all around us wondering what we're doing well i feel that our animals have a really good life and and that means the chickens as well as the the cows um, we consider quality of life for the animals as is really important to us i don't feel bad that if they've had a really good life and then we're going to eat them i feel that I don't feel bad about it because um, I know they've, they've had a good life. Back on the farm, Don brings out a saw and cuts deeper, down through the brisket bone, what would be the sternum on our body. It's not an easy job and takes a lot of pressure and back and forth movements. From inside the chest, another torrent of blood spills out. Dotcom is then hoisted up again so the hide can be removed completely. They drop it with a sloppy thud into a nally bin. Back in the day, the hide could have been sold for enough money to cover the entire cost of the slaughter and butchering. But today, Don tells me, it would barely fetch 15 bucks. Without its skin, Dotcom looks almost human. There is a substantial layer of yellow-white fat and a massively distended stomach. 
Barry then jumps into an old ute and reverses it to the edge of the killing floor. Dotcom is brought over, so she hangs above the ute's tray. Barry cuts off the head and trotters before finishing the deep cut down the midsection started by the saw. He has to bury his arms into the pits to get in behind everything, and then he pulls them out, a gigantic stomach and intestines. The stomach looks like a big balloon, but falls to the ute with a heavy thud. The intestines flow out and twist and slither together. They almost look alive. With the innards removed, the chest cavity is enormous. The inside is smooth with no remaining fat or sinew. It's as if the chest were a suitcase that's just had its contents tipped out. If I were so inclined, I feel like a climb inside for warmth. All of the stuff in the ute tray will be disposed of later. I feel it's a shame because in my travels I've been to many places that would make use of the innards, the trotters and the head. Even I've made a few dishes with beef cheeks. So I'm a little disappointed that there isn't more of an effort to use everything from the cow. It certainly seems a waste. Dotcom, now with no head, trotters or skin, starts to look more like food than she does a cow. It's strange the transition, and I actually wonder whether I ever looked at her as anything other than a source of food, even when she was alive and munching on grass. The beef has moved over closer to a portable cool room where Don uses an electric saw to cut straight down the spine. Once that is done, the food formerly known as Dotcom is then cut across under the ribs and I'm now looking at four massive sides of beef, like what Rocky Balboa beat up when he was in training, only a shitload bigger. They're each placed on hooks and put into the cool room where they will sit for a week before Don and Barry will return to butcher the sides into the steaks and roasts we know and love. The T-bones for the house. Uh, we'll have all T-bones. Fill it in or out? Uh, fill it in. Make it easy on Objectively speaking, with all the blood and guts and death, what I witnessed should have been a distressing sight. I was half expecting feelings of guilt to be roused up in me, which would ultimately lead me to swearing off beef. But the truth is, I didn't feel distress, or sadness, or guilt, or remorse, or even empathy for Dotcom. But I did feel a sense of amazement. It's kind of like seeing how the pins are sorted and put into place in a bowling alley, or getting to see inside the cockpit of a plane when you're a kid. I got to see behind the curtain, to see how something I take for granted is done. And I was bloody impressed. From gunshot to clean up, the whole process took an hour. 60 minutes to take a massive living beast from chowing on cud to hanging on hooks in a fridge. And it was done with a lot of skill and incredible dexterity. Of course, if you don't eat meat, you'll probably not share my wonder, and that's fine. Because as I said at the start of this piece, this is really for the meat eaters out there. And if you're one of those meat eaters who become squeamish at the thought of an animal being killed or feel bad because of that poor cow, then listen to me. You shouldn't be eating meat. Feeling squeamish or guilty is fine, but it's a sign that you shouldn't be a party to this. Because every time you chow down on that scotch fillet or order your Angus burger on a brioche bun, somewhere, what happened to Dotcom has happened to another cow. Maybe even worse. And if you're not down with that reality, then maybe you should order the field mushroom burger instead. And hey, no judgments. Those things are delicious. 
And look, I don't want it to be assumed that I'm completely apathetic about the life of .com or other animals that find their way into my belly. I do acknowledge that they are living things and I would like to ensure that they are killed in the most painless way possible, as quick as possible. But I also think I embrace the practical and primal aspect to it all. Meat provides me with the nutrients that my body needs. And as an animal, just another animal like all the other animals out there, why shouldn't I eat a cow? Giving in to an animalistic desire to eat something's flesh doesn't make me amoral, doesn't make me a murderer, just makes me human. A silly, insignificant little animal. But of course, it's not just as simple as that. I'm not merely giving in to my innate desires to eat flesh. If I was, then I probably wouldn't have qualms about eating lots of other animals. But I don't think I'd feel too comfortable about eating things like whales and seals and dogs, even though they do in other cultures. And this is the point, because our culture shapes what we eat. It reigns in our bloodlust, so we're not just out there eating anything. It's our culture that says this animal is for eating and this animal is for snuggling with on the couch. I'm not born with a desire to eat beef. I'm born with a desire for protein. And it's my culture that permits me to get it from a cow. And so over time, my culture helps me to create a story about my thoughts on cows. And I tell myself that they're stupid, that they're breathing, eating inanimate objects, that they're docile and useless. I convince myself that they don't matter, that they're intended as food. And I tell myself this story again and again and again until one day I watch one being killed on a Dalesford farm and I feel nothing at all for the cow. Perhaps if I was raised to view cows as intelligent, sacred animals, maybe if I had one as a pet, then seeing the slaughter would have had a different effect on me. But none of that happened, so I didn't. The story that I told myself meant that I arrived at the farm with loaded dice the belief that cows were food and that food was good. All I had to do was to stomach the slaughter and then I could rationalise my participation in the whole process. And now the story that I tell myself can end with the evidence that I can take ownership for my eating choices, that I can face the reality of how my steak gets to my plate and so I am free to continue eating them. But that's just the story I tell myself and it certainly doesn't make it an objective reality or even the right thing to do. But it's what I tell myself so I can continue doing whatever the hell I want. Just like everyone else. In the next episode in this series, I speak with some friends to get their perspective. And this particular woman was um, in front of a conveyor belt of small chickens uh some chicks that were going by on the conveyor belt and it it appeared to me she was heat sealing their beaks and in my um some markings where they take the testicles off the males and they cut the the tails off so dad used a knife to do that some farmers will use rubber rings some used to use their teeth back in the day but uh (laughs) that wasn't our farm i want to give my thanks to Teresa brook the butchers don and barry and of course, thecow.com. .com was divided up and went on to feed around 16 people for weeks. She was really delicious. The theme music for this podcast is performed by the Contortionist Handbook. And other original music is by Kent Sutherland. The Human Ordinary Podcast is produced in Melbourne by me, Sam Loy, and is available on iTunes and Stitcher or on your favourite podcast app. Thanks for listening.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.